All right, scribes and scribblers, if you think tines and tipping, ink lines and dripping, you're in the right place. That's right, you're back again with the Nib Section, official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. We're here with you uh, for episode 46. And uh, joining us today, we have uh, a regular hosts. We've got, uh, you know, we're in her lounge room at the moment, and we, I'm sure we've told you before, but welcome to Sharon. Sharon, how are you? Um, recovering from the flu this week. So unlike what you may experience, Chuck, mine was the real flu, not just a man flu. <laughs> I, I want you to be careful about that. I am a gastro nurse. <laughs> so I see the, the full run of flus. <laughs> but we do have some uh, chicken soup bubbling on the countertop near by yeah yeah uh, Sharon what are you writing with today I am writing with and we'll get into more detail about it during this um episode I am writing with a panida and I'm gonna get this pronunciation completely wrong but I think it's the Legrand Legrand something it's the honeycomb edition clear I think it's called white sugar I'm gonna google this Legrand I've, I've lost it. No, I'm, I'm going to look for it on, on FPX. It's like Bellissimo or something? It is called Panida La Grande Belleza. Belleza. Honeycomb Ellie. There you go. That's what I'm writing with. It has, uh, it's a clear demonstrator with a honeycomb lattice acrylic on top of it. It's currently inked with Sailor Yuki Akari. Um in the old in the old round bottles rather than the newer square bottles and it's got a quill nib in extra fine sure we're going to talk a little bit more about that later i'd also like to welcome uh, fearless leader diana diana how are you today I'm pretty good. It's a lovely and sunny Sunday. Afternoon. It is. Yeah. It's uh, oh, it's Saturday afternoon. <laughs> it's it's an Australian winter. Which uh, basically means that at this point in the day, we're hitting 20 degrees still, uh, plus in the sun. Um, what are you writing with today, Diana? I am writing with a um, one of my smaller, which is the medium size SD DuPont Olympios. It's a palladium finish with brown, like a dark brown uh, Chinese lacquer body. And it has a medium nib, which I believe Dan Smith... Um, custom ground to a fine or an extra fine for me. I, I don't remember exactly what the custom um, modification was, but it's a nice fine nib. Okay. I am writing with today uh, sort of a 30th present to myself that is, has arrived a little bit late, uh, but it is a platinum uh, Fujin Raijin uh, of the their, their, um, kind of gold leaf Makie. Um, I don't know if Makie is the right... The road. Kanazawa Haku. I think it is part Kanazawa of the Makio range. It's a very over-the-top pen. <laughs> there, there is no subtlety to it. Uh, I have gone back and forth about it for a while, but I'm st- I was still thinking about it a year later, so that's generally time to you know put it in the collection. It's very gold. It's, it's very gold. Yeah. It's very yellow, which yeah. is very you. But at the same time, this is not the sort of finish that I would associate um, with chuck necessarily um it it, like it doesn't fit in with the rest of your collection no no it's it's an it's an outlier and and we'll talk about that a little bit okay um so today we're doing a recent acquisitions report but we've before we get into the actual show we've got some feedback 
First up from the Owl and the Octopus on iTunes. Uh, they gave us a four out of five stars. Uh, not only is this show informative, it is quite entertaining. I enjoy the selection of guests and the topics that are generally selected. Being a ballpoint pen user and collector, I appreciated the inclusion of a ballpoint pen episode as well. Thank you for putting on a great show. Thank you to the L and the Octopus. Uh, we, we should do a pencil one as well. Yeah, we should. Maybe a rollable one as well. Is there really a lot of variation between ballpoints and rollables though? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll defer to the expert. I'm not an expert. I don't use rollables, no, 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 no. but I think um, it, it, this came up recently on a discussion thread in Fountain Pens Oceania, <laughs> Oceania, where I believe it was Julian had very strong opinions about uh, the instances that you would use a rollable. You may as well just use a fountain pen, and I actually quite like that sentiment. Well, I, I think rollables—they were like the nicest sensation before you know i i came across uh fountain pens so the maybe there's like a kind of a bridge between two worlds situation happening but i could i could definitely do a pencil episode sharon do you want to read out this uh feedback on uh, writing and self-care uh which i believe was the episode that diana has has just done so so we're not having Di read out some of her own praise um and so this one comes from tina tree on facebook who said Thank you so much for this episode and thank you for talking openly about mental health. As a therapist, pen addict and someone who has certainly experienced depression, as we all have in our lives, I really cheered this episode and am grateful. Hobbies are wonderful and not to be taken lightly. They serve a greater purpose than just entertainment. Thank you so much again. Yeah, thank you so much, Tina. And thank you, everyone who took the time to let us know on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, whatever the platform, to let us know that you listened and enjoyed the episode. Um, I had a great time talking to Laura about, you know, what makes us happy, what gets us through the day. And um, it was important to us both that we show a perspective on the community that's not just about drawing pretty things that are perfect you know that are instagram worthy it's also about showing the warts and all side of the community um and why we treasure it so much i think that particular episode um it was really nice to experience it just as a listener and it was also one of the ones that i noticed had probably the most amount of interaction with our audience we ha i think we got the most number of comments and um, reflections upon that episode that I'd seen over the last couple of episodes. Mm, I, I think there's definitely like a level of therapeutic value to writing that we, some of us do consciously, some of us do subconsciously. Some of us make space for writing specifically for that. And some of us only notice it when we don't have a chance to sit down and put our thoughts. And, uh, you know, I, I've I spent all of yesterday pretty much drawing. Mm -hmm. uh, it was wonderful. I was really meant to be updating my CV, uh, which I'll, I'll have to do uh, tonight or tomorrow. But I spent all of yesterday drawing or doing ink washes. And it wasn't until I was kind of halfway through the day and or towards the end of the day when I was genuinely tired of it that I really appreciated uh, how, how long it's been since I've been able to do that. And your mood suffers you know, when you don't do it, something you really enjoy for a while. Yeah, it does. We are, we are not, uh, we, are, we are organic machines and uh, we are not suited to being permanently task oriented. 
uh, playtime is important. But uh, thank, thank you for the feedback. I, I really enjoyed it as, as well. And um, particularly, you've, you've had a, a really interesting uh, couple of interviews recently. Yeah. Um, so we're getting back to Sharon's living room and this whole trio situation after like a couple of months of irregular yeah. um, recording because Sharon was in Japan and then when we got back there was Tab joining us and then I was overseas and then I was recording with Laura, blah, blah, blah. Um, so this feels like, you know, getting the gang back together, which is why I thought it was a good time to have um, a look at what we've acquired <laughs> during um, the intermission and um, talk about reviews, which we don't do so often. But I also really enjoy um, the interviews that, you know, we get to do with people that we meet online and in person. Yeah. We talk about the what and the when a lot, but the why, I think, gives gives a lot of listeners some, some depth. Uh, you mean why we choose the guests that we do? Well, the, the why we write, why we... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, instead of the, like, what and the... Mm-hmm. And the, the uh, when the like what's coming out what's coming up yeah i yeah, think that ev- events the i think that's really important because that makes it um a conversation that's not just product focused mm-hmm. um because you know we can talk about pens that you're not particularly interested in um that lots of people aren't particularly interested in and have no real aspiration to acquire but the you know the passion and what motivates us to yeah. be in this hobby those feelings are mutual and they're relatable yeah and in, i really in some mindfulness yeah exactly yeah. and i really enjoy sharing that um having that sort of conversation with other guests absolutely um well on to our frequent uh frequent <laughs> on to our uh, recent bit acquisitions rusty, huh? <laughs> yeah yeah all, all three of us have gathered up a, a few things let's do one at a time and we'll we'll, we'll cycle back uh, I, I believe I mentioned before that uh, Sharon brought back a pen for me from the Maruzan 150th anniversary, mm-hmm. uh, which was the lemon uh, pen that's based on a pilot pen. It's got a number 10 pilot nib. And when I got it, I thought it was amazing um, and I wanted to use it more, more and more for sketching. And because it holds a con 70 and holds like a significant amount of ink, um, I decided to send it off to Mark Bacchus for an EF grind. Uh, and it's, uh, the turnaround was, was quite quick and it's, it's come back to me. I really, really like this. It's probably not as EF as some people would consider. Um, it's definitely, it might, it might just be the ink. Platinum Carbon kind of runs pretty easily. But um, the main thing about it is that even for such a fine nib, um, it's quite smooth and I still really enjoy writing with it at all angles. I'm going to pass that one around. Was the nib you ordered an EF or was it a needlepoint specifically? It, uh, I, I asked for an XXF. XSF. Uh, which, is how, which is how the <laughs> needlepoint was uh, written for um, the Nib Grinder website. Okay, but uh, you've tried the Platinum XXF, haven't you? Uh, I have, I have. This was more of an... I, I hadn't thought about it when it happened, but once it arrived, it was it was an idea. So Sharon brought it back, uh, and I'd originally asked for a B. Uh, what came back was an M, and then after all of it, I was like, oh, I, I guess I'm going to grind this down to an extra fine, to a needlepoint. And Sharon was like, why didn't you just get the fine? But it, it really didn't occur to me until I'd, I'd already had it. 
I'm real happy with it. I've done a lot of drawing with it. Both of the pens I have with me today, and I'm going to talk about the Platinum as well later on, they're both my, they're both married to Carbon Black at the moment. I just gave it a go. It's it's quite a moderated sort of a flow. Like it's not mm, gushy sort of pilot nib, but it, it it does seem like it would work well for fine line drawing. Yeah, cross hashing is kind of the, the main thing that I've been using it for. Um, but I'm look, I'm really happy with it, really happy with the turnaround. And um, Barkas has – I'd sent it off to him because I hadn't had any work done on pens by him. Uh, and there was generally a pretty good uh, reputation. And, uh, you know, uh, from what I can see here, the reputation is well earned. That's the first nib that you've had worked on? By from from Barkas. So I've, I've had nibs that uh, were worked on and then sold to me. Oh, that's the Seek nib? No. I'd previously had an architect that Dan Smith had done for someone else. Um, I've previously got... I meant, have you had other nibs by Bacchus No, before? I haven't. This is the first one. Um, and it is a joy. Cool. Uh, we're really happy with it. I'm really just looking for ways to make my yellow pens more um, more day-to-day. Yeah, I can definitely see you using that every day. Yeah, Because everyone needs, like, just a nice, fine nib that's reliable yeah. and yeah. not scratchy. Because i got plenty of... EFs that are just not very usable or you have to treat them very gently otherwise the nibs will go out of alignment and mm, then mm. you're just too afraid to use them. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I'm, I love a double broad but it's, it's hard to do your shopping lists with mm. <laughs> when, when, you know, when it's, it's hard as well when you want to jot a note down and you have to wait for it to dry before you, you mm-hmm. close your book up. That's the sort of situation you need a rollerball for. Uh, yeah, yeah um, which we can talk about in a future <laughs> episode. <laughs> Uh, so let's move over to uh, Dai. Dai, what's uh, the first acquisition you want to talk about today? Um, I haven't really gotten any pens since Sharon brought back a Pilot Yukari for me. So I haven't gotten any new pens, but I have been getting a lot of paper and notebooks. Um, guys, I, I've literally like spent a ton on Rotofaden since I, I saw you since we recorded last. Um, for those of you who've never read or seen anything about Rotofaden. They're a German company who have this, I think, trademark organization system, um, which is a cover um, that has a spine in which you, you insert these removable metal clips. And this clip system allows their notebook covers to be extremely customizable and very flexible in terms of what you want to insert into them. So if you look at them, they remind people a bit of uh, like a Midori traveler notebook sort of a system. Do you mind if I grab one? Just Yeah, you? sure. I have quite a few on the desk here. So like in the Midori system, notebooks, your, your inserts, as they're called, they're held into the cover by a system of elastics. In the Rotofaden system, you can have all sorts of inserts in the cover. that They don't have to be branded by Rotofaden, but... What holds them into the cover are these adjustable, um, removable aluminium clips, which are quite ingenious and um, very easy to get used to using. And I really like the customization aspect. I think they're really, really versatile. I like the sizes that the Rotofaden Taschenbeck lighters, um, these organizers, I like the size they come in. I like how the covers, you can choose your own colors. 
Um, you can choose the pocket combinations on the inside. It's a nice, it's a nice feeling cover. Is it a, is it a suede? Is it a? So I have synthetic suede. Is it a? I have in the last couple of months acquired um, five. Um, I've only bought three today. One is currently being held by Customs and will arrive hopefully early next week. But I have three of the A5 covers with me today, and two of them have, um, actually, all three of them have leather covers. But the leather on two of them are like this semi suede fabric. They don't market it as suede. One is this dark brown leather, and one's a light brown leather. They feel vaguely suede like, but they do gather a nice sort of a patina um, over time. And I really like that difference, how it's not like a patent leather and it's not like the leather on the Hobonichi which I think probably attracts scratches a bit more than this leather. The Midori. Oh yeah, yes. sorry. Compared to the Midori Traveller Notebook leather. Gener- generally what you want on a notebook cover is because of how they kind of get moved around mm-hmm. what's really beneficial is a pull-up uh, and pull-up is a quality in leather where the scratches don't aren't stuck and they kind of migrate into the grain and it, it's basically a leather that takes on wear and looks good. Well, there's there's two solutions to that, right? One is a cover that completely resists all scratches. Correct. Um, and Rotofarden have a version of that too, which is a dance floor material, which is like a vinyl, like a like a mm, plastic. I don't have any of those. Um, Sharon's just passed me a really a really good example of a. a kind of a pull-up style leather from Midori. How many Midori uh, notebook covers do you have, Sharon? I really like the Midori Traveler's Notebooks. I've literally just whipped out a small selection of my different colours. Yeah, yeah. And, there, and there, are, there are different ones, but there's this kind of olive... Uh, that was last year's limited one. edition. Yeah, and it's it's definitely taken on scuffs, but they look, they look quite nice. Um, whereas sometimes, uh, particularly with... You'll see this often on like cheap leather shoes is that a scuff appears to go beneath what is a veneer of um, very nice leather and it doesn't take it very well. And you Uh, end up having to um, re-dye the surface. But these are are all quite nice. Um, So what what is your preferred? So let me go through um, with you the series of steps to ordering a Rotofarden. A Rotofarden, because it's so customizable in terms of finish, color, elastic, number of clips, etc., etc. You can order a limited number of configurations from select retailers. So I think there's one in Australia who I will link to. Uh, JetPens carries them and um, a bunch of other large online sellers also carry them and a couple of lifestyle stores, I think. But if you really want to be able to pick your size, number of clips, outer cover, inner cover, color of elastic, pen loop, etc., etc., um, you really need to use the configurator on the Rotofarden website. Um, there's a German version and there's an English version. It's quite easy to use. I I find it really addictive because the configurator, as you're selecting the options, there's like a mock-up yeah. image that that shows the colors that you've selected. I used and, to do that in high oh school. Oh my goodness! In high school, they had—I uh, don't know if they still have it because I'm not—I'm not really a sneaker guy anymore. But for Nike, Nike, Nike ID, so you used to like design your own sneaker on Nike ID, and it would mock up as as you were going. But that is so addictive. Like every time I've ordered one, I immediately start playing with the configurator again. It's like, what if I get this instead? Or 
on top of what I already have. And that's why I've managed to acquire five Rotovarden in two months. Um, the process of ordering one custom, they take about a week to build and then they will ship it to you um, internationally. That's pretty quick for something that's basically completely customized yeah. within within limits. I think I think the pieces are already made and then like the com putting it all it's together. It's just a modularity. Yes, of it. It, okay. it's very modular. So between the suede like and the the patent and this like more more classic leather cover, what, what's your preferred? My very favorite Rotovarden so far is still the first one that I got. And um, I think I mentioned this in my interview with Laura, who is also um, a big Rotovarden fan. I have the dark brown outer on an A5 cover with the magnolia mottled wool felt on the inside. So if you feel the cover, it's like fairly thick piece of leather on the outside with a fairly thick piece of felt on the inside. So the the cover has this kind of squishy feeling, which I, I really enjoy every time I hold it. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel uh, rigid, but it does feel very durable. It's it's very durable. Um, it's it's quite soft, but not floppy, if that makes any sense. And um, I'd be really curious to see how much I still continue to enjoy this in the summer when it gets a bit you know sweaty and. Um, overly warm but right now it's just very comforting to stroke mm, mm. Um, you can't see me but I'm just like feeling up the leather <laughs> so, so you would say that it's because of the tactile sensation I, I like that your both. opinion's been successfully swayed <laughs> <laughs> nice I've been very patient <laughs> you've, been, you've been waiting to drop that one on us <laughs> so um, if if you follow the conversation on FP Fountain Pens Oceania on Facebook, you might have read my initial re- reactions to the Rotovarden, where I expressed a bit of cynicism about how I would get used to the exposed clips um, on the spine because, like, they look a bit uh, like they have a sort of industrial rough quality, which I have actually gotten used to, and. What I really am won over by is the bright colours um, and the fact that I can just put whatever I want into them. Like they will take almost any size width of notebook, um, thick or thin. You can the nice pocket combination means you can stuff things into the back of them. Um, you can take a wider pen loop so you can put a fountain pen in them. They're just very good at sucking you in. <laughs> it's the customizer. It's, it is. I really like the one that I'm currently holding. It's probably slimmer than all of the others that you've got, and it doesn't have the exposed um, clip edge. Yeah, the cover of this one is sort of leather all around the spine instead of the one you're holding, which is leather on the front and the back faces, but the spine is... The spine is actually covered up. This one I quite like. I like the feel of this leather as well. Sharon is talking of the ST17, um, which is one of the models that are made en masse and you can just order directly without having to get it customised. There you Um, go. You can have this one to try if you like. Um, Mass market type of gal. I like the covered spine where, you you know, you don't get the exposed clips. But what I don't like it so much is that it doesn't have the elastic that goes around it to hold it closed. Um, It did have an elastic, but it goes around the centre and it's a sort of flimsy elastic. I'll, I'll link to this so you can have a look at what I mean. But... I prefer the 
the elastic that goes all the way down and it's a thicker elastic to just keep everything in its pace. So Rotofaden, try the configurator if you dare. It's a bit of a <laughs> it is a bit of a gamble, I have to say, because a lot of places there's no way to really try one to get a hand on one to see one in a store before you order it um, unless you know someone who has one um, that's willing to let you have a look at them so and they are quite expensive and might might be your best option for that yeah and maybe look for someone nearby who has one that can let you have a look but like i said they are quite expensive so it's a bit of an investment but I, I just find what they offer is so unique and very practical as well. Well, it's, we've got uh, a, a thumbs up on Marizen and Bacchus and a thumbs up on Rotofad. And let's go over to Sharon. Sharon's got quite a deep list to get through. I have a really long list and I'm wondering if I continue with the thumbs up trend. So I hadn't actually no that's a lie I was gonna say that I hadn't bought any pens for a while but I just came back from Japan and if anyone knows anything I bought basically all the decimos in Japan um I'd actually been on a relatively dry buying streak like I'd been in a dry spell aside from the Japan trip I hadn't actually bought a new pen outside of the ones I bought in Japan for like a good eight months I think before then I can't even remember what the last pen I bought was um, and definitely I haven't bought an Italian pen for a very, very long time. And, and that's not to take anything away from Italian pens. My pen collection actually started off with Italian. Started off started off with Montegrappa celluloids in particular. Um, started off with Montegrappa and Taboldi celluloids, actually. Um, and I did own a couple of Omas back in my day as well. But um, I haven't bought an Italian pen for... I can't even remember. It may have been like five, five or ten years since I last bought an Italian pen. And then a couple of weeks ago, I went wild and I bought not just one Italian pen. I actually bought two Italian pens. And I (laughs) – so one of them I knew I I was fairly comfortable in buying because one Chuck had already bought one before me um, in a different colour, which is the Aurora Optima in their just the plain colored resin plain colored resin so chuck obviously bought his in yellow uh whereas i bought a light purple one uh, with the rhodium trim and it's a limited run this one the only reason why you buy one of these pens is for the for the nib it's got um aurora's new fine flex nib on it so i bought one of these i tried the fine flex nib before I'm going to be honest, I wasn't wowed by the fine flex nib, but it was interesting enough that I wanted one for myself um, because I hadn't tried one for an extended period of time. So I did pick this one up. It was a colour that I wasn't offended by. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's probably the best way to explain it. It's an unusual colour. Well, yeah, it's a lilac. It's a lilac colour. A Um, pastel sort of lilac. Yeah, and you know what? As soon as I bought this and as soon as it arrived, I just thought to myself, I should have bought the light blue. I was tossing up between the lilac or the light blue. And I love blue. It's my favorite color. But the light blue, I was umming and eyeing about because I thought it just looked a little bit pasty. It looked a little bit pasty in the photos. And this looked a bit more vibrant in the photos. I like this one. I like this one. Uh, I just think I may actually end up picking up the light blue. blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
I don't know. I don't know. It's quite a big. Um, it's a quite a big dollar commitment. I'm not going to lie. Like Aurora's. Um, the price tag on them surprised me. So in general, Italian pens are quite pricey. They're up there in price. You're not going to find a cheap, cheap Italian pen that's going to be like a cheap, cheap Japanese pen. And as of recent years, my tastes have just completely run towards Japanese pens because for, you know, this Aurora I bought on closeout for 399 USD um, or thereabouts, that ballpark. And... For 399 USD... Could have gotten a pair of Japanese pens. I could have gotten something... I could have gotten an 845, like a cu- Pilot Custom 845. Yep. And an 845 is mind-blowingly yep. good. All right, so there's a bit of conflict there when I'm spending so much money on pretty-ish plastic, pretty-ish. Yep. And I don't love the nib. I like it enough. Yep. I don't love it. Um, my main issue with the nib and... Again, if I do end up getting the light blue, which is looking more and more likely, is that it's too broad. I'll get it ground down. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. This nib. It's- I sent mine off to my Siyama. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it's a, it's a fine flex and yet it is yeah. broad. Broad-ish. It writes like a medium. It's a soft medium. It's a soft, me- it's a soft medium, but it, which is broader than the platinum soft mediums. Yeah. So it's like a soft broad in a platinum. Yeah, and it's not like FA line variation. It's there's 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 a bit there's a bit. It's quite nice. Oh my, it's it's, it's really broad. <laughs> it's very very broad, like really really broad. But it's a nice enough nib. Um, it's not particularly flex. It's it's nice and wet and very smooth. And but yeah, so that's actually um, so the ink that I've got in this purple Optima is the Graf von Faber Castell Violet Blue, which I know you hated this. Don't ink. like it. You hated this ink. But uh, and then part of the complaints has been that this ink is quite dry. So that's a dry ink in this pen and it just gushes. Yeah. So I'm a bit concerned because I don't actually like really wet pens. Um, yeah, it's it's the ebonite feed as well on the auroras that, that lends to that. So I don't know how I feel about this yet. I think I'm in the – I think it's pretty good. Um I think it's good enough that I'd want another. Yeah. <laughs> is that your first Optima? It is my first Optima. Oh, yeah. Woo. You're in the you're in the we're still dating, but I don't know if I want to move in with you phase. Well, I think this is kind of like we're at second date stage. Okay. Second date. Third date is going to be like a make or break situation. I'll report back in sure, sure. next time round. Yeah, so we're like second date. I'm up for a third date. Right? Up for a third date, which is doing pretty well definitely not at the i want to i want to pop out kids and spend the rest of my life you you have reservations yeah because i suspect that if i do do that we will have a divorce at some point i'm like you know that that's sort of where i'm what i'm thinking very impressed by how wet this pen is i'm i'd be curious to start putting some dry inks through here so like the pelican inks um i don't put pelican inks in many pens um, I only put them in the very, very gushy ones. This model was also my first Aurora. First first Aurora, first Optima. I thought about getting a yellow one just for a brief minute. I generally like the colors that they've chosen for these solid um, for these solid resin ones. They're, yeah. they're pretty good. The red, the green. The green's really nice. The green's really nice. The, ac- across the board, I've liked these. They're, blue. They're, I, um, I like these three. So I like the gray, I like the light blue, and I like the uh, lilac. I went with the lilac in the end, but the lilac is just, like the actual color. 
very different. It's quite different to what you see on screen. Yeah, you can pick them up for pretty cheap at a lot of places. They're still, I mean, I think... Pretty cheap. Pretty cheap is quite relative. It's uh, not yeah, a cheap Yeah, pair. relative to the other Aurora line. The original, yeah. um, I think, price was six fifty. Six fifty. Six fifty or something on, like that. On nibs, I'm not sure what they were selling for in the yeah. in Europe. Probably a little bit less. You, if you look at places that, if you look at any Aurora retailers, <laughs> generally what you'll find that the the models on closeout tend to be these anniversario kind of flex models. Or the Mineralis. I'm really curious. So um, when I saw that the closeout um, Aurora Flex Optimus were going for sale for three ninety nine on nibs.com, I was very curious because these pens, they only were, were released, I think, last year. Um, there were 330 in each colour. So it was a limited edition. Because the... 2017, was it? Yeah, because I think... So they came back they to came back. They came in the back 80, to back. 88. Yeah, so first. the 88s were the year before. So I think okay. it was 16, 17. Okay. So they've been around 17, for a couple 18. Of years. 17, 18. Okay. Um, I don't think they were all dumped at once. I think they came no, in they, couple of releases. They were month by month because they said that the factory could only produce a certain number of these flex nibs and that these flex nibs were life-changing. They're not. They're not. They're, they're nice. <laughs> they're nice, yeah. but they're not life-changing, right? And it's also not a fine nib. If you have a fine nib, you should be able to write on fine lines. This is like I'm writing on seven millimeter, uh, seven millimeter lines at the moment and I'm feeling like my – my handwriting's too big, right? On the lightest stroke, you would expect to get something quite fine, whereas this, it's really very this wet is and broad. A, this is a medium nib. Mm. It's a medium bordering, borderline broad I, I sent my two off for 0.2 and 0.3, and I'm actually expecting an email from Mike being like, it probably won't go down <laughs> to that. So these were released as a limited edition as sort of an experiment, I think, by Aurora to test the sort of flex nib market, what sort of price range people were willing to accept. And I'm not sure how they would evaluate, you know, the success of that experiment, um, given that two years on, there's quite a lot of them still unsold and now being priced much lower than they were initially. Um, I think in general, people respond to them fairly well, even though they weren't the sort of flex that some people might have been expecting. I think they – I haven't heard any reports of, you know, nibs breaking or people having bad – just generally bad nibs. Um, they're, Some they're of the all colors sold out quite quickly. Yes. Oh, did they? The yeah. yellow? So, I think no, the initial, the, the the initial blue, 88s. There's a, there's a dark blue. Yeah. Oh, I remember. Yeah. That, that sold out quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And the 88s, yeah. You, the 88s, uh, they had a s- smaller run of the 88s. Yeah. But um, with these Exact optimists. same colors. Yeah, exact it's same colors. just gold instead of rhodium. Yeah, so it's interesting and... I probably would give it another go, like I said, um, and I'll report back on how I feel about this. I might be in Chuck's boat. I might send it off to a Nimmeister to get ground down, yeah. which I'll see. But um, I'm not I'm not upset with this particular purchase. I mean, the Optima is a piston filler, which is quite nice for the ink capacity, and I, I don't actually think I have a lilac pen. So that's pretty interesting. While we're on the topic of Italian pens, so as you would have heard in the intro, I have a Panida, guys. <laughs> I, I, I never thought the day would come. Um, <laughs> I'm being disowned by my so friends. So for, for people that don't know about Panida, since it's relatively newer, Sharon, do you want to run us through what the, the pedigree of Panida is? <laughs> Shh. 
sure. Pedigree such as it is. <laughs> well, what is what is Seb doing? S- Sebastian's looking outside onto the world. He's brooding. He's <laughs> It, does he have watching. like a friend out there that he's saying hello to? No, it was just <laughs> people watching. He people watches there uh, every day. Anyway, so for those who aren't aware, I think it was 2017. 2017 was a big pen year. I think it was in 2017 towards the back end. Uh, Visconti had a bit of a coup of sorts. And uh, Dante Del Vecchio, who was the former president and also the founder of Visconti, uh, was voted out of his company, I believe. And now exactly what happened behind the scenes, no one knows. If I knew Italian and could shrink to the size of Ant-Man, I wish I was in the room. <laughs> but, you know, um, so yeah, Visconti were from then on became became – uh, their own company without their founder. Yeah, and their designs since then, I think, have been less, shall we say, opulent. And they came out with the <laughs> Pentagon, right? Like, okay, so they came still out a with bit the wild. Pentagon, <laughs> which is, I wouldn't call it wild. I'd call it a stupid pen, but I wouldn't call it wild. So Visconti hasn't been extremely prevalent with new and grand designs which is what they were known for and the controversy surrounding yeah, it big big swings for designs big swings and also big down swings for QC a lot of ups and downs a lot of, a lot of ups and downs um, I think in recent years Visconti has I think the QC issues have eased off somewhat I think they're getting better but I would still not touch one with a 10-foot pole and then Dante Del Vecchio went off and started started his own company called Panida. And all of the big swings in relation to designs have definitely come to this com- company. And so, in my defense, I was shopping online really late one night. And I should never buy stuff late one night. So, I was looking to buy the Panida gemstone range in the Rodolite, um, the red resin pen. And I thought that's what I added to my cart, but somehow I did. It happens to all of us. Uh, I added this honeycomb limited edition to my cart, which is not a me pen. Like in never in a million years would I look at that and go, oh, that is my type of pen. So I, it looks like something out of a science fiction movie. If you took the very traditional sort of it clip does. Off it it. kind of looks like a Men in Black 3 prop. <laughs> 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 So, look, if you have trypophobia, this is not a pen you would want, right? Because it has holes in it. And or maybe f- you do if you want exposure therapy. What, what Sharon means is that it literally does not hold water. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pen that's just... Lattice. It's, got, <laughs> it's just lattice. There's nothing else. How does the nib not dry out? So oh, I see. Interestingly yeah. enough, the nib doesn't actually dry out. So let's just talk about this pen first and foremost. It's acrylic. I think it's uh, like injection molded, I want to say, because I don't think this is cut out or laser printed, 3D printed. Someone someone on Fountain Pens Oceania was very kind, kind, polite, very brutal about how this looked like a laser printed pen, laser 3D printed pen. Look, I'm not going to argue the fact it does sort of look like that. Again, it's not the pen that I wanted. Look, but it, so I, I got here a little before... Diana did. And I spent probably the first minute just f- like kind of rolling the pen over in my hand and feeling for burrs. Well, 
just the edges of each hexagon. It's not smooth, but it's also not as rough as I thought it would be. I really thought I was going to have an immediate gut no. <laughs> what I have is, it's fine. Yeah. It's not the, the immediate no that I thought I'd, I'd give. It causes very violent reactions, um, violently good in some cases, because some people really like the honeycomb thing. I hear bees are in this year. They should make it in like a yellow or yeah, like a different colour. They've, they've now got one in a black honeycomb with rose gold trim. I, I, like admittedly from the photos, it looks pretty hot. So if, when you first look at it, it is a pen that you will have a reaction to. You're not quite sure whether it's going to be positive or negative. Um, I think it's a pen of extremities um, when you first see it because you will have an extreme reaction to it. How does it write? So interestingly enough, other than the looks, which is probably my biggest complaint about this pen, the rest of it I'm fine with. So we've been on at least three dates now. Now, And while I'm not ready to commit to going steady, I think we should still see others. I'm I'm not ready to dump it and to call it quits which I seriously thought I was. And so the reason behind me getting one of these is because I actually tried one of these when I was in Japan. I tried a green one, the green gemstone range, um, which was what I thought I was buying. I was thought I was buying the red gemstone range. Um, the nib was really interesting in that it was interestingly bad, but had some really good moments. So you tried writing with it. It was scratchy. It didn't quite work. But when it did work, like at that one tiny little angle that it did work at, it was glorious and it had very good line variation and it was a very good looking nib. Wait, wait, so it's, this is, what's the nib called? The nib is called the quill nib. And this is why you buy one of these pens. It's because... And it's designed to flex. It's designed to flex. It's got the cutouts on the side. It's a very long nib. So it's a long, and I quite like long nibs. So it's a very long, quite attractive nib. I got it in the extra fine. And I was expecting this to be an absolute train wreck, to be frank. I was expecting to have to get it and then send it straight off to a nib meister. Considering the pedigree of Penido and your history, this is kind of like returning to an ex and seeing if they've changed. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it is. It is. It's kind of like, you know. I'm really only here for... Uh, I'm, I'm here to bring up dating metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're all here to bring up dating metaphors today. Yeah, so when I first got this nib, I was expecting it to be an absolute train wreck. I tried it. And I will give, give it one thing. It did take a really long time for the ink to flow through. I tried it with a uh, cartridge at first, and then I ended up just using a converter. Um, it's, it's a cartridge converter fill. When I tried it, it surprised me because it worked. And <laughs> that's a pretty low bar. That's a pretty low bar. But um, I, I was really gearing myself up for the absolute worst. And like I said, I tried it. It worked. It, was, it very much reminded me of a pencil. It feels like writing with a pencil. Um, so it's not just feedback, but it's got texture when you write with it. Kind of like a sailor nib? More. It's got more texture than a sailor nib. Um, it definitely it just feels like a pencil. Like that's the best way that I can explain it. Um, the nib itself, yeah, wrote fine out of the box. It's got it's writes quite wet. It is actually an extra fine, not like this Aurora fine type of bullshit. It's an actual extra fine. It writes. It doesn't flex very well. Like to be honest, um, I think the flex is a little bit overrated. It does have line variation. That's the f- both of the pens that you got. 
Yeah, well, the Aurora, at least the feed keeps up. This one, the Panido, the feed doesn't keep up if you flex a lot. So my benchmark for a flex and a feed keeping up with flex is an old Nakaya that I've got, which has a soft fine nib. And that flexes out of all of my pens the most consistently. And it's never had an issue with the feed not keeping up. And that's a soft fine platinum nib. And if the line variation on that's great. Um, that's my benchmark for all of it. The Aurora kept up. The Panida didn't. Panida ran out of ink in the feed probably after about maybe three or four loops, maybe four loops. Other than that, there were a number of things about this pen that I liked more than I thought I would. So I like the cap. Um, I think it's really interesting in that this being a lattice, just a lattice, no underlay, just a lattice, doesn't actually have a cap. So there's no cap, there's no seal on it, no traditional seal that would prevent the nib from drying out. It does kind of have a seal where the two it's a magnet. magnet so yeah, it's a magnet closure it's a magnet closure but it's like a twist well situation. it's a it's a magnet closure in that i think the magnet's only on one part of the cap yeah yeah and so when it closes it's a fairly strong magnet it locks down pretty well but even if you just leave it there it doesn't really dry out which i like obviously so I haven't had a drying out issue with this pen uh, and I've had it for a, uh, about a week now. I've been using it on and off. The grip section is really um, comfortable. Uh, Dye hates the look of the grip section. It just reminds me of um, the grips on a bunch of the pen kits, you know, those types of um, like ready-made kits. They have that sort of a section. That's what okay. it reminds me of. I like the clip detailing on this. So clip is nice. The clip has, um, it's a feather and I like the look of the nib. So there are a lot of things about this pen that I like. And it's limited edition. It is a limited edition. 163 out of 888. It's got 888 of them, so not really limited. Again, it's probably one that I'd have to go out with a few more times. I feel like you, you keep giving Panida or you keep giving Dante Del Vecchio these chances. I haven't given him a chance in a very, very long time. This is the first chance I've given him since, oh gosh, probably the first chance in eight years or but so. But given the quality of the nib that you tried when you were in Japan, that Panida nib, which was, as you said, kind of touch and go, sometimes okay, sometimes not It was so mostly good. mostly not okay. Yeah. But it was interesting. So it was very interesting. And I will say I bought this one because I really liked, I liked the look of that particular pen, the finish on the acrylics that they do. I have a lot of depth to them and it was, it was a very attractive pen. Well, obviously mine is doesn't have that acrylic swirly finish. It doesn't have much acrylic at all, if we're putting it that way. How much was the pen? Can I ask? Oh, yeah, you can ask. Um, look, this pen retails for, I think it's USD 750. Ouch. 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 I bought it for less. I bought it for less. As I that. said, that's a lot of money to pay for what really amounts to two-thirds of a pen. Yes, uh, I acknowledge that, and I would never pay full retail for this pen. I, I think it's whoever's paying full retail for this pen, don't. It's not worth it. You're paying for two-thirds of a pen. Absolutely agreed. Um, the nib could be better. I don't hate it. It's not on the chopping block yet. I'm intrigued enough. I'm also never going to be buying another Panida. <laughs> oh, not even the Rotolite? 
No, no. So I don't. I didn't love it enough to say, "Um, oh, you know what? I'm going to buy another one." So it's okay, guys. I'm still me. You don't yeah. need to unfriend me. I know Leo was coming close to no, unfriending really? me because of this purchase, but very unlikely to buy another Panida. I think I see the hype. I see the hype, but. You're on the fence about this one, but you're future-proofed is yes. what you are. Absolutely. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a bunch of, like, at least two, three people on FPO who are waiting for you to sell watch a pen. This space. <laughs> watch this space. Well, watch this space. Watch this space. I'm, look, I'm keeping, I'm keeping a hold on to this one for the moment because, look, I actually like the writing experience. It feels like an old-fashioned pen. It really does uh, because of all the texture that's in it. It doesn't have all of the perfect smoothness that you find in a lot of newer pens. So the newer pens, I find that um, most of them are seeking some type of absolute spotless, spotlessly smooth writing experience. This doesn't give you that. It gives you a lot more um, sensation when you write with it. So it's quite enjoyable, actually. I wonder um, how... People who are very used to the extremely wet, extremely smooth Visconti nibs, how they would react to this particular type of nib. Writes nothing like a Visconti nib. Thank goodness. Um, It writes nothing like a Visconti nib. And that for me is a huge plus because I don't quite like how the Palladium Visconti nibs write. I don't think they'll like it. I'm just going to put it out there. I don't think they'll like it because this has so much feedback. It's not sharp or anything like that. It just has a lot of feedback. Yeah, it's that kind of feedback that I really enjoy as well. I, I enjoy it. I like the tactile um, sound and the feel of it. Uh, people who are also buying it because they think it's a great flex nib, don't don't buy it because it's a great flex nib. Buy it because it's a good-looking nib. Um, the flex capabilities of both the Aurora and the Panida are pretty similar. I'm not going to lie. Um, well, let's since we're reversing direction, it looks like uh, let's let's go back to you, Di, uh, since you've got some more things to talk about. Yeah, 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 more paper. Um, this is going to be a chance also to talk about a really nice sort of retail um, experience, sort of like a retail experience. So, have you two tried anything from the very niche brand called Misubi? I have not. I saw them when they came out. I came very close to buying multiple of these, um, of their notebooks until I saw the price. I'm not going to lie. The price Mm -hmm. really put me off, but I do know the story of them. I know they're out of Singapore and I like, I like a lot of things that this company stands for and some of their past editions I really quite liked as well. Unfortunately, they're no longer made. So they're um, Masubi, Masubi Atelier. They're a Singaporean company, I think founded by Daryl Lim. And they have a very particular mission, which the website communicates quite well. Their atelier only uses craftspeople who have physical and um, intellectual disabilities. Um, It's about giving employment to these people and it's about also fashioning products which use and showcase the best of Japanese wabi-sabi that sort of aesthetic and also Japanese textiles and Japanese paper so they produce notebooks um, journals the interiors are Tomo River Teco 52 GSM paper and the outside they're hard covers which are covered like glued over with fabrics that are I think made by small scale textile mills in Japan and they have these very unique patterns some of them I think the limited editions are made with kimono so antique 
um, fabrics. There's versions that have wools and maybe silks. I, I, I can't be sure of that. But they're all very small batch, very niche, um, very pricey, as you said, because everything's handmade. Oh, so pricey. And like some of the ones that I really, really like are those special editions where they have – so for one, they have this vintage silk kimono – one which I think looks two seventy Singaporean dollars two thirty five yeah Singaporean I dollars I, I I put oh. two in my basket and I was like oh shoot <laughs> it's I, it's very yeah. yeah look I, look I, I I really like it I think I'm I'm no stranger to paying for handmade and I'm no stranger to paying a premium for particular for funding particular causes that I'm I'm a fan of and I think the next book I get will probably be a Masubi one. I was tempted to give these a go after my conversation with Anna in Cantadora um, from a couple of months ago because I think she's a good fan of the brand and I've been meaning to like try one and see one in real life as well because I don't think I've ever met anyone who's um, been, you know, handed me one. And given our proximity to Singapore and the fact that I would hope that Daryl would like to come to the Sydney Pen Show at some point, um, I think, you know, it's good time perhaps to give them some exposure in Australia. So I thought I'd buy two notebooks, give it a go and see how they do. And um, they arrived really, really quickly. Shipping from Singapore is always a plus, like in two days. I ordered, let's see, what did I order? I ordered two A5s, the dark grey wool nap, and the other is a dragonfly in a yellow sort of ochre colour. Love it. Yeah, <laughs> I love it too. It's just very interesting and it's like a sort of warm honeyed yeah, gold colour. Yeah. Both notebooks, they come in this beautiful um, paper slipcase, which is also you can use for storage. It just feels so luxurious. It's textured too. It's yeah. not. It it's, feels really handmade. Yeah, it's like um, simple, but shows that uh, like some care went into the designing of it. Yeah, so they come in this box. Is the this box, their logo, by the way? I think so. I like it. Yeah, they look like so. The, the logo like is like all reeds in yeah. a crosshatch sort of a pattern, and the notebooks themselves are they're they're quite slim. They're not like massively two hundred um, pages. Two hundred pages, which is like an avec. Sort of uh, similar, yes, actually, similar width, similar thickness. Yeah, so it's the same. So not not too big of a commitment for people who don't like really really thick notebooks. Um, they feel I I love the fabric covers, especially the wool. The wool um, I think has a really nice sort of a sheen and a warmth, and um, I think all the all the finishing is really top quality. Um, I did notice some imperfections in the fabrics, particularly in the dragonfly. And in my review on FPO, I actually remarked on this. Um, I presumed that it was intentional, that um, part of the aesthetic of Wabi Sabi is, you know, accepting things that are not perfect. And um, I don't think it, you know, detracts from the appearance or the functionality of the notebook in any way but I thought it was worth commenting on in my review and the interesting thing is that so Daryl who's also on the Fountain Pen Addict Slack Daryl messaged me on Slack and um, I'll actually read to you what he wrote 
Okay, so this was Daryl's message. Um, we think one of the charms of natural material, especially where handiwork is involved in the manufacturing process, is that it exhibits the little imperfections that mark it as handmade. So where there are small runs or print imperfections in a fabric, we intentionally leave them in. It's the same with the various marks, it, for example, the diagonal lines on the edge of the paper block that indicate the journal is handmade. We don't shave those down either. The atelier adheres pretty strongly to wabi-sabi in its craftsmanship process, part of which is a belief that handmade things should display impeccable workmanship but exhibit enough imperfection to give them life and show their handmade temporary nature. Still, if you're unsatisfied with the result, we're happy to replace the journal. Just let me know. So um, I really appreciated Daryl getting in contact with me and just really um, confirming what my assumption was. Um, initially, I I'm going to be honest, these journals, they don't come in lined paper and having lined or gridded paper is one of my requisites um, in terms of the paper that I use just because I'm not very good with um, a blank page. So I, I bought these notebooks to try them out and also hopefully to give them um, away. But noticing this concept of imperfections that are just accepted and built into the manufacturing process, it kind of made me reconsider their suitability to giving away just to randomly anyone. Because I think even if someone really enjoys handmade things, you really need to properly communicate and inform them of the, the ethics and um, the aesthetics of the brand before you give them something that shows that sort of imperfection, you know, for them to fully appreciate it for what it is. And um, so I had a nice conversation on Slack with Daryl. Um, thank you, Daryl, again, um, for being really open about your process. And um, I think he really took the feedback on board and they're going to be prototyping a care sheet. So a slip of paper in their future notebooks, which will explain, you know, their aesthetic, their process. And um, I think let any consumer know that, these imperfections, they're part of what makes the journals really special. And I think that will be really appreciated by their consumers and the sort of people that really want this very, very handmade, very unique product. So I'm going to ask the question on everyone's mind. Mm -hmm. Are they worth it? I don't see anything like this in the market. Let's just put it that way. Um, with this sort of very unusual fabric patterns on the covers in with Tomoe River specifically. I, you can link me to alternatives oh. if you find them. Okay, Sharon, just... <laughs> so I'm just going to put it out there. This, this particular... And I get... I totally get the craftsmanship and the fabrics, um, the story behind it in particular around using um, – so the, their craftsmen all having uh, – I think it's physical uh, disability or handicap in some way. There are many things to like about this. My gut instinct is, oh, $120. Mm -hmm. I think for, that's the base That's price. the base one, 120 Singapore, Singapore dollars. dollars. Which is about equivalent to you, Australian. Uh, so, f in Australian dollars at the moment, that's like 130, 140. Mm, okay. Um, that gives me heart palpitations. Like, it really, really <laughs> does. Um, 200 pages. I'm going to throw it out there. Hobonichi has come out with a new A5 notebook with grid. 
It's the Hobonichi grid, 200 pages, pretty sturdy. It's also bound. It's a bound notebook, so it's not stapled. Tomoe River, look, same page content. It just doesn't have the um, cover. It just doesn't have the cover. But you can get a fabric cover for, say, I think this one was like about $5. I want to say, I think it was $5. Um, Some people can even buy the um, material themselves and make a cover for these notebooks. Yes, it's a different it's a different aesthetic. I get it, but you can get something very close to that for now. The Hobonichi notebooks are 1200, 1200, uh, 1200 Japanese yen, which works out to be what like twenty Australian dollars plus a cover twenty five plus shipping. Plus shipping, so it's not going to set you back more than say thirty five dollars, including if that's all you buy from the Hobonichi store. That's putting it up there, right? And if you get a Nanami paper, for instance, Nanami paper is two four hundred and eighty pages, so a lot of paper comes in a nice case, slip case with blotter paper. Again, it's bound. It's got a different, so it doesn't have a paper cloth. It's got some type of um, textured cover. And again, comes in so many different designs. The paper quality, I don't think is as good, but it's also Tomoe River. Shipping costs an absolute bomb from the US if you do get one of those. But they're, I think, 23 USD for 480 pages. Um, You can get a leather cover to go with that, which takes you to, I think the leather covers are about 80 USD. So when you add all of that up, that takes you to a bit more than the base of the Musubi notebooks. So so, so yeah, you asked me, like, do you think this is worth it? I I think it's very difficult to answer that question unless you have something that is very comparable. And I haven't seen anything that is directly comparable in the market. And part of that has to do with how it archives and how it's presented in in the giving, which is why I, I was so scrupulous in terms of, you know, examining the notebook for little imperfections and the presentation. Because I don't think, unless you're someone who really, really is buying the whole package, you know, the, the cover, the material, the paper, and you really, it's really important to you um, to have that cover attached to the notebook, you know, not as something that's removable and that's that's more economical and reusable. Um, Unless you're really buying into that temporality of the product, I I don't think it is worth it. You you have to be really into exactly what it is. And I'm going to be, say, I'm really suckered in for what I've seen on Le Reyes's, I think it was on her Instagram, or her Instagram where yeah. she has like a stack of these notebooks mm. in all in different covers, different finishes. And I can really understand how for a certain type of person, just the pleasure that you would get from having a stack of these in <laughs> all their different colors um, on your shelf, knowing what they're filled with mm. um, and each one being unique and something that you've worked on. Um, I think that... I, I really, really understand that fuzzy feeling, you know. Mm. I, I buy into that um, up to a certain point. If they came in lined paper, Daryl, <laughs> Daryl explained to me why they don't, um, just because of the extra worksman, like the extra work that it takes to line up um, sheets of paper that are already got lines drawn onto them, and that would 
add to the manufacturing costs even more. Um, so it's I, not. It's it's not if you're a sketcher. Yeah. yeah. Oh, exactly. If I you're think a sketcher, then, then no issue. Um, which is part of why I'm I'm looking at filling my next one because I've been on I've been on Midori paper for a little while for sketching, so I'm look, looking at a shift. Yeah, I can understand oh. if you think it's just totally not. Um, I, I, not so worth it. I, I don't know. So, <laughs> this is my struggle um, around these is that I really like them. I would love to buy a stack of them as well. That's $120. They really accumulate um, in <laughs> the, just the aesthetics of yeah. having a stack of them. I just think that it's just really special. I mean, three of those notebooks are basically the equivalent to my Aurora Optima. Yeah. And we all say, like, is that Aurora Optima? Worth it in its original. Oh yeah, price. yeah, yeah. In its original retail price, I can tell you absolutely not. Like I have a very violent reaction to that as well. Now, do I have the same level of violent reaction to the hundred and twenty dollar price tag? No, no, because I, I have I've bought notebook covers for one hundred and twenty dollars. Right. And that's a notebook cover without a notebook in it. And as much as we say, yes, they're reusable and stuff, once I put a notebook cover on a notebook, it doesn't come off. Oh, really? Yeah, even, I just can't even be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> like how much is the leather notebook cover for From the Midori MDs? Midori, $120. Yeah, so something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, and it's I, true. I haven't taken mine off either. Yeah. <laughs> I also thought that about leather covers and switching it in and out. And I have two now that... I've been rotating around one that I don't like as much because I don't like its pull-up. One that has had a rotating roster. But I think more and more as I'm starting to more effectively fill up notebooks, because I was real bad at doing four pages and then doing something messy and being like, this one's done. Um, the idea of a book that uh, just gets to be its own thing rather than the guts for something else, um, is appealing to me more and more. I, I have a lot of notebook covers, personally. I know. <laughs> a, a lot. I've, a hand, lot I've handled them. a lot of them. Um, well, not just the traveller's notebooks, which, yes, you've handled four of them today, four, five of them today. Um, I actually have a lot of notebook covers because I really like notebook covers. And, and you don't I like really, the look of the notebook when it's nude? Yes, I don't. I don't like them when they're nude. The only one that I've swapped insides out of is the one that I take to work right and that's that's just a plain leather cover with a pen loop in it um that's the only one that I've actually swapped the insides out of because it's the one that I go that takes the most amount of beating and it's not one that I actually quite like so much I'm looking I'm on the lookout for a new one but all of my other covers have one notebook in them and the notebook just stays in them I have about five of those Midori notebook covers the leather ones simply because I've got more than five different Midoris. Anyway, so yes, it is all very subjective. I am not convinced yet that I will fork out the money for one of these notebooks. I could be convinced at some particular point in time at this moment. it's You've already got two maybes on your plate at the moment. I've, I can't have more maybes, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. then you'll be calling me maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's incredibly subjective. So, like, the This sort is of a call forward the, to a future recommendation. <laughs> so the removable fabric cover that Sharon just showed me, I don't like those types of removable covers. I just I, – they feel sort of loose. They – like, I iron them down actually. Oh, so, okay. uh, so with the adjustable notebook covers, which I have quite a few of these, I iron them down. I 
measure them up first like this and then I iron the whole thing. I steam and iron all of these so that they fit quite tight. But still you get like wrinkles on the cover and like, I don't know. It would, I think part of it is my OCD-ness. Like it would just bother me all the time hmm. how it's not perfectly fitted to the notebook. But that's just me. I, I, I think that's incredibly subjective. And for example, with the Midori MD notebooks, it doesn't bother me when it doesn't have a cover when I archive it. I just oh, I when it, archive when I archive it, it doesn't bother me if okay. it doesn't have a cover. But when you're using it, you don't like them. I yeah, I don't like them naked. Yeah, if I think of the Misubi as a replacement to my Midori MDs, I think this is a much more attractive spine mm, mm -hmm. that I would see staring out of my very um, trimmed down bookshelf now. Since I'm on e-reader, everything. Yeah, I think. I think they're just, I think they're incredibly well designed. There's been a lot of thought put into them for every stage of the use um, life cycle. And because uh, like the, the slip covers, they're, they're meant to be used to archive them as well. I think they're designed to be acid free. So um, they're, they're good for archival purposes. And like I said, if you don't want to store them in the slip cover, they're just incredibly attractive on a shelf. Yeah. I do like this logo. It's like two bass guitars about to make a ukulele. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, Again, with the dating uh, metaphor. Yeah. There's something quite hypnotic, yeah, about them. Even though I, they're, they're not perfectly suited to my um, use purposes, um, I can totally understand people like Anna and Le Reyes who really love them. Absolutely. Um, all right, so I've, I've got uh, one other one coming up. Um, so I historically have always leaned sailor and pilot for the uh, Japanese market. Any and, particular reason? Um, I think pilot has a, has a great range of, it, it's kind of got a pen for, for everything, right? Like maybe not all in one spot, but. They have the biggest variety yeah, in their there's range. Interesting filling systems, interesting nibs, interesting um, what do you call it? Bodies. And again, all Mechanisms. of these things. Yeah, they, they don't all line up necessarily, but there's definitely a good spread within their range itself. Platinum, I've kind of overlooked because by the time I looked at them, it was Nakaya time. Yeah, you jumped straight for the yeah, Nakaya. <laughs> yeah, and um, basically what happened was uh, I bought uh, my partner a... 3776 in, in a bold so they could uh, illustrate. Uh, and I tried it out when they got it and I, I kind of low-key started using it when they weren't around. Um, and I've gone back and forth. We've, we briefly talked about the Fujin Raijin design on this 3776, which is, I mean, borderline Italian. Um, Wait, what is Fujin Raijin? Uh, so they are the wind and uh thunder gods uh and the lightning uh, wind and lightning well thunder the thunder and lightning are compressed into raijin fujin has just the bag of wind, bag of wind. The, the actual kanji for it yeah. is lightning but in in his so within his design uh, he's okay. got like the drums that cause the the thunder and he's he's got the the lightning fujin uh, specifically as a bag of wind that he lets... Gas bag. Yeah, <laughs> basically. It's a design taken from like a very famous uh, silkscreen print of the two, not quite deities, they're kind of like half deity, half oni. 
you know, a demon uh, for for the uninitiated. But it's particularly on the gold leaf. Uh, very. It's not shy. No, no. It it's very in your face, and I I've been back and forth on this uh, a lot. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot. But uh, with the falling in love with the nib, I it, it kind of tipped it over for me, and I've I've been really, really happy with it. Traditionally, I've shied away from platinum nibs because they they tend to be rock hard and not do anything. But the more sketching that I've been doing, the more I appreciate that uh, is is a pen that doesn't really have any give. And look, for the, the end of the market they occupy, they're really, really great value. Um, the 3776, I it's think. It's a very light pen. It is. It's not heavy. Because th- there aren't really any guts to that, mm, that pen. It's, it's about the same weight as a, as a regular resin 3776. Yeah. The one note that I have about the gold leaf is where when it's uncapped and you start to look at the the point between the body and the threads is there's a little messiness there. Um, but for the price point and for how easily that will probably go away with some careful toothbrushing and stuff that uh, I, it's not really a, an issue for me. What is the price point? Bought from Japan. I had some friends kite it back over for me. It's around the 300 mark. Okay, uh, that's which very is, reasonable. Yeah, which is, I mean, double the usual uh, Platinum Century but not that much higher other to begin with. It's not Urushi coated. Uh, so I am going to be quite careful about throwing this one around. But if it does take it on, there's a lot happening on the pen and I, I imagine it will age pretty well. Actually. I'm really interested in how they got this finish because there's no, there doesn't seem to be a seam on like the gold silkscreen print. So I it's suspect. like printed directly onto the pen and then probably the the actual like the 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 drawing of the gods that's probably glued or what i will say is because of the platinum threads is that you can rotate them around so that they line up pretty well but it it may not necessarily happen on the first one same as a on an akaya (laughs) yeah yeah look i'm i'm real i'm i'm happy with it especially considering the the price point visually i can very much understand how it's a lot for 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 a lot of people. I like the they have a dragon one. They as do. Well. I like the dragon. The dragon one, one is nice. Uh, I believe Brian calls this one the pubic hair pen because the <laughs> because the uh, the two yeah, the two it. deities <laughs> yeah. the two deities are they're considered yeah they're they're considered demons like ogres they're they're not uh, civilized so they're they're drawn in quite a brutish way. Which to me is um, part of the charm. Uh, but if you want um, elegant and austere, this is not the pen for you. <laughs> and still cheaper than my Aurora. <laughs> yeah, yeah, still. But uh, again, uh, of the three Japanese companies, my preferred converters uh, on the Platinums. Yes, agreed. Yes. I have the platinum converters in so many different designs because they're also the ones that take on Makier the best. Uh, even though the Con 70 has the largest amount of space, it's also the most difficult to clean. And I'm not sure how I feel about running a Makier converter constantly underwater and washing it. It's, it's a syringe situation, I think, which can be, can be a bit of a turnoff. 
Do you, do you want to talk more about your, your other acquisitions? Yeah, so I talked briefly about one other one. So I didn't do things by halves. I broke my drought of not buying any non-Japanese uh, or buying yeah broke my drought of buying non-Japanese pens I bought a couple of DuPonts um, <laughs> a couple a couple of DuPonts oh was this from the Chatterley Luxuries yes because Thanks. Diana was oh, evil sorry. and she posted <laughs> that uh, Chatterley Luxuries had on closeout so DuPonts, DuPonts. but it's D-E-U-X uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so DuPont, uh, DuPonts they had the Line D Atelier on closeout and i'd seen these before actually in store i love a du- i love a dupont it's pen. beautiful it's it's a really nice not quite tortoise shell finish so um, it's called the tortoise shell and what, <laughs> it is it's called not the quite tortoise, tortoise shell. shell i'll bring out the others as well but basically the atelier line is the um premier line of their lacquer so it's um DuPont's known for their Chinese lacquer finishes. They're very heavy pens. They're pens that write absolutely on their own weight. They also have undoubtedly the best nibs, as long as you're not expecting flex. These pens write like an absolute uh, wet dream. They they really, really do. Um, this particular pen has a very uh, dry ink in it. And again, it just flows from the pen the DuPonts don't actually struggle with either wet inks or dry inks and they just write they write so beautifully they're so smooth they always work out of a box I've not had an issue with any DuPont new or old Um, and it's mainly the nib that called me to to them I've had some issues with DuPont nibs uh which size Um, the B and the stub yeah so I don't own any B's or stubs so I have extra fine fine and medium most of my DuPonts come with medium nibs, funny yeah, enough. there's a lot of those. When I saw these on closeout at Chatterley Luxuries, I wasn't going to buy them. I did end up buying them. Yeah, because they have the D on yeah, the I'm top anti, of the Yeah, I'm anti-D on top of these uh. DuPonts, but I did end up getting them anyway because I do like the lacquer finish on this. It's quite subtle. Um, it looks like... It looks like it's like a, to- like a tobacco brown. With yes. so, so what it reminds like, me of sure. is, do you ever see those like heat reactive surfaces? Oh it yeah, kind of and lo- when you have your fingerprints on yeah. them. Yeah, and so it looks like that, and some of them are in various stages of um, fading away, of cooling down, uh, and it's like it's a really nice color. The the Dupont caps, speaking as someone that doesn't own one. The DuPont caps are, are very nice every time I get to handle them. Actually, like looking closely at it, it looks like it's hand brushed on. You know, like someone took a gold brush and sort of yeah. swept it over. Yeah, so these it are all hand finished. Um, these ateliers, they're f- quite a small run. It's gorgeous. But they're, they're gorgeous finishes. Again, the Line D is not my preferred DuPont model, but... I do like almost everything else about it. Is this one you as well? Yeah. So I did. I picked up three. Picked up three. Uh, I like this red as well because it's not completely uniform. There's some. There's some depth to the material. Oh yeah. It's like a pinkish red though. Interesting color. I didn't actually notice it, but Di, you're right. The purple one is lighter than the other two. Yeah. This one's heavy too. Yeah. So the purple has a rhodium trim and then the red has a gold trim. Yeah, the the red and the brown I think are about the same 
weight. The purple is a bit lighter. Anyway, so I picked up these three. I don't regret it. We can skip past the initial dating phase uh, unless the D really gets to me. <laughs> but um, that's that's our uh, that's our adult rating. Uh, <laughs> if if you can get over that, yeah, then I can see you getting a lot more Dupont's in the future. Uh, I don't th- look, and I'm going to admit I got these because they were uh, they were on closeout for a very good price. Um, these Dupont's retail well over a thousand dollars in Australia. They were on closeout for a lot less than that. The Phoenix Renaissance was also part of that closeout sale. I thought Correct. you might have gotten that. I did. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh there so we go. I did get a Phoenix Renaissance as well. So I went spend. all in. I went all in on the DuPonts. Yeah. Um, I haven't bought a DuPont. Actually, no, I did buy a DuPont recently. I bought some of the older DuPonts. I haven't bought a new DuPont. These are my first new Line D DuPonts. A new pont. A new pont. <laughs> That's it. That's all. I have no money left either. That's that's all. That's all. That's all until that's all until the pen show, in uh, August. Yeah, it's not far away. Not far away. That, we're not, we're not, starting to yeah, yeah make preparations. Not not uh, our recommendation individually, but definitely like a pod recommendation to uh-huh. if you're in Sydney or if you're within uh you know if your schedule allows for it. Um, great great experience last year. I think come through to the Sydney pen show. We have a table. Uh, at the Sydney Pen Show we this will. year, we will. And yes, August twenty fifth. Um, <laughs> the sun, no, the, s- the Saturday, Saturday, the Sunday, sun, uh-huh. Sunday, August twenty fifth. Whichever day that but is, I, I'm, I'm checking my diary. Um, whichever day that is, that's when the uh, August twenty fifth, the Sunday. Yeah, that's when the Sydney Pen Show's on. Come say hi to us at the nib section table. Not while we're recording, but no, we might be. Recording we might be recording a live episode yeah, at the yeah. show that's that's what we're working on anyway in, in which case do not talk to us during unless we do some audience participation that i'm i'm gonna try and make that happen so oh, we are. um i'm gonna try and see if we can get a roving mic at the sure. end to take questions but otherwise if we're just sitting around chit-chatting and looking antisocial, please come up <laughs> yeah. please come up let's talk pens um yeah so i think we will have a stand that day what exactly we're going to have at the stand is no clue <laughs> not yet not um, to we, be we to are be working on a little bit of merch um so i i, I know that pins are are one of being the being considered yeah yes. yeah we're considering designs we may uh come up with a few designs and uh, are we oh okay <laughs> well I, I was thinking you might come up with a few well, designs <laughs> I, I was thinking that we look at a few designs and it might be a good idea to um Run them past. Yeah, we could. There's a polling system oh, on our, our Instagram, okay. and that could be a good way to to make sure that we. Select. Is there a polling system on Instagram? There is. You can ask a question. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, but it's only it's only a B. It's not. There's there's no. Oh. It's in stories, isn't it? Yes, it yes. is. It is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, which is one way we could do it. But uh, watch watch this space. Uh, speaking of recommendations, that does take us to our recommendations section, and this is where we recommend things that we like that may or may not be uh, pen and paper related. Uh, who would like to go first today? Well, you can call me maybe, or you can watch the movie Call Me Maybe on Netflix, and that's actually not my recommendation. So if you have or haven't seen it, um, at the end of that particular movie, it's available on Netflix, go watch it, great movie. Um, after I saw that movie, all I wanted to do was listen to the song Sail, Wait, 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 wait. Isn't the movie called Always Be My Maybe or something like that? Yes. Well, 
yes. Sorry, my bad. That's yeah, right. That's right. I haven't seen it yet, but yes, yes, yeah. always be my I maybe. Know, I know the scene you're talking about with Sale. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I my recommendation is the song Sale by AWOL Nation. Um, and that's all I've been listening to as I walk into the office every single day. <laughs> the power walk. As I walk into the office every day, I've got a blaring in my speakers. Someone someone in the 2020 elections should definitely use that song as their walk-in music. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. So uh, that that's what I've been listening to to get me amped up and feeling almighty and powerful for the day. Awesome song. Mm, I've seen that used in a couple of um, like vids, uh, video edits online. It's just a lot of fun. But I've also seen that Keanu Reeves scene from the movie being edited to a bunch of other songs and they're all great because he's great. (laughs) Yes, true. But this, but Sale was the scene and yeah, there's just some great, great moments out of that particular uh, movie. But my recommendations for Sale. I might go next. Mm -hmm. There are two recommendations. One has a little bit of backstory. Avengers, Endgame. Not a, this is no recommendation. This is the setup. This is the setup. So Avengers Endgame was a movie that we're all aware of. A lot of movies have led up to it. Had a budget of $356 million, I believe. And opened to... This is just opening weekend. It's obviously made you know half the Earth's money at this point. But um, it opened to, I believe, uh, 100 and 74 million, something like that. Domestic US, right? Um, Yeah. John Wick 3, uh, budget of 55 million, uh, open to a weekend of 57, uh, immediately just... This is a very Keanu-centric recommendation. Look, this wasn't originally going to be my recommendation, (laughs) but I I realized um, I loved... Look, the first two movies, I went back and watched them. I loved 3. I think John Wick 3 is the best... Uh, of them, Ooh, controversial. I, I love that Keanu has kept the same um, stunt double ever since The Matrix. That guy is the director of all the John Wick movies. It's action's amazing. It's got uh, very recognizable action stars from a lot of things, including uh, Mark. What's his name? Um, the, the the French. Yes, the he's Cascos. so good. Yes, um, and including uh, the chief uh, choreographers and. Uh, you know, stars of fight scenes from some of my all-time favorite the action raid. movies. The Raid. Yeah. Yes. Uh, they're phenomenal. The opening 20 minutes. My 85-year-old grandmother saw it uh, <laughs> in the cinemas with two of my aunts, which I only just found out about. She liked it? My two aunts are very violence-averse, and they were not really able to deal with it. Because John Wick 3 is quite violent. Very. Like, very, more so than the other two, I think. Yes, I do think so. Uh, some great use of CGI horses. Um that's a CGI? No. They, they, he rode a horse. Come he on. Rode a horse. He rode a horse, yeah. but I, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. The, the what happened with those horses <laughs> beforehand. Um, my grandmother, who is 85 and uh, from the Philippines, lived through Japanese occupation, cheered. Uh, cheered and cackled <laughs> in this cinema. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, I really thoroughly rate it. Go watch it. Um, my other... Okay, so before you get on to your other sure, one, sure, sure. a supplementary wreck, um, since we're talking about John Wick 3. I was going to say a supplementary wreck <laughs> since we're talking about the wreck. Okay, okay, Go yeah. ahead. John, John Wick 3. Halle Berry did a great promo spot on The Hot Ones on YouTube. 
um, it's the channel First We Feast, if you've never seen it. It's basically this one journalist, Sean Evans, who forces celebrities to eat hot wings and they get hotter and hotter mm, and asks them ensue. and yeah and asks them questions. Halle Berry went on to promote John Wick 3. She smashed those wings like an absolute queen with the one of the best performances on the actual wings while giving great uh, a great interview. Give Halle Berry a spin-off. Yeah. yeah. So Highly recommend you go and watch that, if for nothing else, just to see her clean these wings that, like, guys like Shaq couldn't do. Shaq yeah. was crying Absolutely. at the end of this. Absolutely. Like, great, great series, but Halle Berry's episode, she's a queen. What I will say in John Wick 3 is I had very high hopes uh, for uh, what role Jason Manzoukas would play. It was very little. <laughs> I kept expecting him to come back. But at and least he's not dead. He is not. He will come he is back. Not. I, I def. I, I kind oh, of thought, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a more all ages recommendation, uh, something that I've revisited just in the interim, um, has aged very well. Uh, I think is still very good thematically and is is a great example of uh, pretty much every kind of writing except romantic. Uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Uh, oh yeah! Have just finished a rewatch. Have you seen Cora? I haven't, which is why. Oh, go get which, on. So that. I've started on that, which is why I rewatched all of Last Airbender to prime me for Cora. Uh, watch this space, but uh, let me pass it over to Die. Okay, very Asian centric this episode. Um, so my follow on rack from yours is a show called Warrior on Cinemax, which is I think produced by Justin Lin from the Fast and Furious series and also the new Star Trek. And it's a project that was initially I think written by Bruce Lee. Yep. It was written and produced originally by Bruce Lee as a star vehicle for himself, but it never got made during his lifetime. So his daughter, Sharon Lee, worked with Justin Lin to bring this project to um, the TV to, to, to fruition. And it's set in, I think, 1880s or 1870s San Francisco, just before the Chinese Exclusion Act was enacted in the US, which um, stopped any more Chinese people from um, immigrating into the US. But it's set in this period where the gold rush, I think, has just about ended. Uh, San Francisco is still booming. Um, they're building the railways still. And um, it's a period of racial conflict in the city with the Irish labourers um, looking for work. And let's just say... Chinese people being scapegoated yep. um, in that sort of environment. And there are, you know, gangs, there are <laughs> labor disputes, there is politics, uh, political wrangling, there are incredible action scenes with martial arts, as you would expect from a project that Bruce Lee wrote for himself to play. Yes. And um, one of my favorite characters and um, in a supporting role in the series is Joe Taslim. Joe Taslam from The Raid. Yeah, okay. He is so good in it. He's, like- he's a standout for the first movie. Mm-hmm. He almost steals the movie. Yeah. Yeah. He he doesn't get a lot of dialogue in, in Warrior. Warrior is the name of the show. But his presence on screen is just so magnetic. Like he's really quiet and his body language, I just can't stop. Because he, he just looks like he's going to kill someone yes. at any fucking moment. Whoops. Um. 
Uh, we, we've already earned our, <laughs> we earned our adult rating. Yeah, we earned our explicit rating this episode. He's a good looking dude. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, really good show. Um, amazing, like pan-Asian cast. And so I'm not sure where you can watch it in the new, in Australia exactly, legally anyway. Um, but How about get- we just tell people <laughs> about the show yes, and yes. they can um, find you can find there. You can find it online probably and um, through various streaming platforms. Um, that's one recommendation. My other recommendation is on YouTube. It's a, it's a lovely channel that I've been binging since end of last year, I think. It's called Dianxi Xiaogue. It's from um, a young girl, well, a young woman in Yunnan province in the southwest of China. She lives in this rural, um, an agricultural village in Yunnan, like high up in the mountains. I lived in Yunnan for a year and a half while I was working in China. And like the, the lifestyle, the food that she cooks, the native flora and fauna, it just brings back a lot of those memories. It's um, incredibly charming. And I think she, she has a really good presence in her videos. And of course, the food is just marvelous. And it's, it's very, I think, replicable in terms of technique, if not in ingredients. Is it English or Chinese channel? It's a lot of these videos must have originally been posted on Chinese um, video platforms. And recently, I think she found a producer to convert them into a format and post them onto YouTube with subtitles. So they do have subtitles, but um, she speaks Mandarin or native Yunnan dialect. So double bell recommendations from all three of us Mm -hmm. today. I had a lot of fun with this episode. I think a lot more space for us to kind of play around with different ideas with Mm. just kind of a summary and review episode. Yeah, I I like the episodes where we have a very focused topic, but every once in a while it's nice to just sort of ramble on about what we're having fun with at the moment. Fun subjective. (laughs) Yeah, subjective. All right. Well, that takes us to the end of the episode. Thank you very much for joining us again, Di. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you, as always, Sharon, for uh, sharing your uh, house and pet No worries. Thanks, Chuck. Uh, As always, my name is Chuck Montano. Until next time, listeners, ink well. Past and future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, or feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Chuck Montano, Sharon Zah, and Diana Zai. Recording and editing was done by Diana Zai, and our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith, with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. <laughs>